0: A Faith That Obeys Podcast, 006, John 112. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This passage of scripture is used by the evangelical church to demonstrate that a person becomes a Christian when they accept Christ for the first time. A popular metaphorical formula was developed probably in the 60s to help people remember this plan of salvation. It reads like this, believe plus receive equals become. In other words, if you believe in Christ and you receive Christ, you become a Christian. The problem is, this formula is wrong. The verb is not become, it is gave. When you believe and receive, God gives you something. He gives you the right to become. We don't become anything upon our decision to receive the message with an open heart. While it may be true that God gives us a new gift, the right to become a child, this is not yet salvation. The problem with this form of teaching lies in the conclusion it offers. The conclusion the evangelical world presents is that a person is saved when they receive Christ. This is wrong, dangerously wrong. When a person is taught they become a Christian when they first believe and receive, it sets them on a false path to heaven. Just think about it. If I follow this unbiblical practice and believe I am saved at the time of my acceptance— There's no point in a variety of other commands Jesus gave his disciples, which always precede the forgiveness of sins. Because I believe I am already a Christian, what's the point of confession, repentance, and baptism, all of which precede the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit, when you look at those issues in the Bible? Following this incomplete pattern does not lead to salvation. Yet, this pattern is presented, practiced, and promoted with vigor by most evangelicals today. It bears a striking resemblance to a pattern Jesus identified in his own ministry. Let's take a look. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Wow, Jesus is addressing a problem regarding a particular group of people's understanding of the conversion process. Who are these people? Well, first, they call Jesus Lord no less than four times. They're sincere. They're doing really wonderful things in the name of Jesus. They're driving out demons, they're preaching in his name, and they're performing no small amount of miracles. He says they performed many miracles. We have no reason to believe that these things were not really happening. And Jesus does not deny their actions either. On the contrary, these things must have taken place because they serve as an illustration on which Jesus defines the problem. These people were extremely dedicated to Jesus in the way they understood the gospel. These people possessed a a sacrificial heart, willing to serve Jesus. These people put their faith into action. They did what they believed was true, good, and right. They knew Jesus intimately. They they probably even loved Jesus. Why else would they take on such an active ministry effort? Jesus tells us not everyone will enter the Kingdom of Heaven, and He uses this very sincere, very busy, very dedicated group of believers as a bad example. By today's standards, these people would be viewed as super-Christians. They were doing a lot more than I'm doing for Christ. They're really quite amazing in their dedication and activity, but Jesus tells us they're lost. How can this be? Well, Jesus actually gives us the answer. The problem for these folks is not that they do not know Jesus. It's pretty clear they know him intimately. The problem is not that Jesus once knew them and they somehow drifted off into doing their own thing, leaving the straight and narrow and and taking on some unbiblical practices which which killed their relationship with him. The problem, as stated by Jesus, is that he never knew them. Something happened at a specific point in time which caused these well-intentioned people to take a path which led them away from Jesus. The point in time would have had to have been a time before he ever knew them. It would have had to have been a time that they committed to the path that they were currently walking on. If these people had taken the right path to begin with, they would have been on a path which would lead them to the kingdom of heaven the path they were on was a path which was taking them away from Jesus and label them eternally as evildoers. This is frightening. Something must have distracted them or confused them at a point in time right when they were making a commitment to the Lord. They must have learned about Him in order to even consider yielding a life of service to Him as their Lord. The message about him must have been presented accurately. This was not the problem. They must have made a decision to accept the message or or else they again would not have moved forward in their decision to work for Jesus. The first two steps in the plan of salvation appear to have been on straight. They heard the message and they accepted the message. What would come next? Well, the logical question would then be, and it always has been, what must I do to be saved? This question was asked by those convicted of their sin on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and it was asked again by the Philippian jailer. Frankly, this is the question everyone asks, even without asking it verbally, when they're confronted with the truth about the gospel. We want to know how to get rid of our sin. We want God to forgive us. If these sincere people had heard the message and accepted the message, there must have been someone presenting the message. Now, this person or persons would have provided the next critical piece of the puzzle. This person or persons would have provided some erroneous information, which missed the mark. And left these sincere believers in an unsaved state. Remember, Jesus never knew them. Their conversion was incomplete, they were never converted correctly. This is the only conclusion we can draw from this passage. These people tried to start a relationship with Christ, but something or someone prevented it from happening in a way that was acceptable to Christ. They started the relationship on the wrong path. Consider this passage from Galatians 5. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? You see, these people were running a great race, but someone cut in and kept them from obeying the truth. And guess what? That is exactly what Jesus identified as the problem back in our Matthew passage. Buried in the spiritual boasting and Jesus' criticism of their behavior is the reason he has rejected them. He tells them they are not doing the will of the Father. They're not carrying out the Father's commands. The issue was that these people sincerely believed the gospel, accepted the gospel, but never obeyed the gospel in a manner that satisfied God. In John 14, verse 15 through 17, Jesus tells us that if we obey his command, God will give us the Holy Spirit. Let me read that for you. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. Since we know that God will not allow his Holy Spirit to indwell a filthy vessel, we must conclude that the forgiveness of our sins occurs prior to the Holy Spirit taking up residence in our lives. That point in time, as described by John fourteen fifteen, is when we are obedient to Christ. If our friends from Matthew 7 had obeyed the gospel... Jesus would have known them. It was a promise in John fourteen. The illustration of Matthew seven, the image of sincere, dedicated believers actually being called evildoers and excluded from heaven, is not in the Bible just to make the Bible thicker. It's there as a warning. Matthew seven twenty one and following teaches us that we cannot and must not ever point to our spiritual resume or our good works as proof of a relationship with God. It teaches us that sincerity is worthless. It teaches us that the ability to perform miracles is no proof of a relationship with God. And most importantly, it shows us that a teaching like believe plus receive equals become is the exact same thing which led these people astray. The modern plan of salvation captures people's hearts and soul at the most critical time in the conversion process, right as they accept the gospel message. It tells them sweetly, you just got saved. It sets them down on the wrong path, and on that path they will walk until someone steps in to correct them and help them get moving in a right direction with a faith that obeys the gospel. Well, thanks for listening. Join the argument at www.faiththatobeys.org slash blog.